This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. Well, good morning, friends, family, countrymen. Uh, my name is Mike Mobley. I'm one of the pastors here. If I haven't got the chance to meet you yet, I'd love to be able to do that uh, after the service. Thank you, those of you who are tuning in to join us online, and those of you who also uh, listen to our podcast. We've been, like Charlie just prayed through, we've been going through the book of Mark for a while now. I feel like it's been like six months, seven months. I got finger guns. That confirms six months. Thank you. Um, and one of the reasons we want to do that is we're big fans of preaching through the Bible verse by verse. And it's because we believe the Bible is 100% perfect, the Word of God, and it's perfectly accurate. So when we walk through books of the Bible, we don't want to leave anything out. And so that's kind of why we're going verse by verse through Mark in this season of time. And so if you would, uh, turn with me in Mark chapter 7, or load it up on your app. If you don't have a Bible, we have plenty right there in the back on that table or around the corner of the Connect desk. Uh, seriously, grab one. It's our gift to you. Keep it. If you know someone who doesn't have a paper Bible, please grab one or two. Give it to them. Uh, we would love to get a copy of the scriptures in everyone's hands. So Mark chapter 7, we're going to start in verse 24. So I'm going to start reading. So quiet. All right. <clears throat> so the word of God says, and from there, he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Let's pray. God, I ask that you would open up our hearts and minds for everyone here in this room, watching, listening, that we would hear what you're telling us through your word, that we would learn more of you and your heart and your character and the steadfastness, love that only comes from you that's so secure and never wavering that we would believe that and place our faith and trust in that fact <clears throat> and that we can apply whatever we need to apply for our next step of obedience from your word today. And so would you use me however you see fit this morning? Would you use all of us to bring you glory and that we would walk out of here changed even more so like you and that we would obey? Just simply obey. I trust you and leave the results up to you. Jesus, in your name, amen. 
So what's happening here in, in Mark? If you remember last week, if you were here last week, uh, we talked about uh, Jesus kind of maybe debating with the Pharisees some of the difference between the religion and the gospel, kind of what's happening on the uh, outward appearance and Jesus kind of being more concerned with what's happening on the inside from the heart. Corey did a great job teaching that last week. So if you missed that, uh, see if you can watch it or listen to it uh, this week. But now we have Jesus traveling to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And part of that reason, we find out, was actually going to be for rest, which is why one of the reasons it says he entered the house and did not want anyone to know, but yet he could not be hidden. So this happens multiple times throughout all four Gospels. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Some of them have the same story. Some of them don't. But we see Jesus retreating a lot for time with his father, for rest. He's kind of modeling some priorities for us because we don't really rest the greatest always. And we actually see people from this same region in Mark chapter 3. And so I don't know, I don't know about you. I'm at Enneagram 3, and I know I just said Enneagram, and so it's like, why are you talking about that? It doesn't matter. The point is 3 is like the effective, I'm a checklist person. I like to check off my checklist. It disappears. It's nice. It's fun. And... I'm an extrovert and an introvert as well. And so I don't know how you feel, but when I retreat to get a little bit of rest, and if I'm interrupted by somebody, whether it's a person or a situation, whatever, my first inclination is not always like, oh, like, well, God, what do you have for me through this interruption today? You might do that. I don't really always do that. Uh, it's my confession, but typically I'm, I'm a little frustrated at the first glance but not so with Jesus, right? He gets interrupted over and over again, and this is another example. Right away, a woman comes in and falls down at his feet. So we learn she's a Gentile, so Syrophoenician by birth. Matthew 15 records the same story and describes her as a Canaanite woman. So both of those meaning she was from the Phoenician region. So Tyre and Sidon were made up of Gentiles, and the point of this is it has a long history of being opposed to Israel, which is actually why this is kind of a big deal. Jesus is traveling over the border and not just conversing and meeting needs of Jewish people, but also Gentiles. It's showing that God's not just for one nation, but for all nations, which we'll talk about more in just a second. So the woman comes in, we can tell there's some desperation here. Clearly, she's falling at his feet. She's begging him. There's a demon possession going on with her daughter. You can imagine if it was your daughter or your, one of your best friends or something like that, you're going to be pretty desperate about that too. She comes in. And then how does Jesus respond? This is very interesting at first glance. So he says, let the children be fed first. For it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. The New Living Translation of the same verse says, Since she was a Gentile, born in Syrian Phoenicia, Jesus told her, First, I should feed the children, my own family, the Jews. It isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. And then in Matthew, the same story says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. So at first glance, 
This kind of speaks to why also when we read the Bible, you don't want to just read it like the one verse and just move on. Because at first glance, this sounds a little weird, honestly. It actually sounds potentially like maybe Jesus is being a little mean or a little cruel. Like throw it to the, like what? Jews, the reason he does this is Jews at that time referred to Gentiles as dogs. And they meant it like street scavengers. Not really, obviously, a loving phrase to call them. But with Jesus saying dogs, he's not... He's not speaking in a derogatory way. He's not speaking even in a direct statement towards her, but rather, as he so often does, he's speaking in a parable. He's actually testing her faith. The word dogs in that context, what he's actually saying, it kind of aligns more like with a household pet for us, not so much a street scavenger. But one of the key words here is that he says, first, let the children be fed first. There's a point here on first ministering to Israel and then ministering to the Gentiles. We see the same thing from Paul in Romans 1, 16. says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and then also to the Greek. God clearly cares for the people of Israel, but also for the Gentiles. He's not just a God of one nation, but all nations. One of the best passages to memorize is going to tell you all about the heart of God is 2 Peter 3, 9, where it's saying God is patient towards us, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Thank God he's patient. I'm not patient. He's patient towards us, not wishing that any of you, me, anyone, would perish, but that all should reach repentance. So let's stop here for a second. Imagine being this woman, this mom. You are clearly in desperation mode, as you should be. It makes sense. You come fall, you bust through this house as a Syrophoenician woman, as a Gentile, to a Jewish rabbi, and you throw yourself at his feet. You're crossing a lot of cultural uh, issues there. You ask for help, and he responds saying, others' needs need to be taken care of first. And it's not right to take their help and throw it to the dogs. So just think about it for a second. Like, put yourself in that environment. How would you respond to that? So Jesus, I'm here. This thing is going on. It's really traumatic. I really need your help. Your help... I kind of got other things to do first. But even your help, I mean, it's not really right to throw it to the dogs. If we're really honest here, let's just, let's like not kid ourselves. We would not like this response. I mean, I think we would immediately hear the dog, what did you just call me? Like, we just immediately take offense. It's, it's, if we're, I don't know how we're not going to respond that way. You just go and read the latest comment thread. That's just literally how we talk. If someone called us a dog in that kind of context, we actually would have gone to him and been vulnerable and asked for help, and he would have said something like this. How would you respond to that? How does she respond? She answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. In Matthew, she says, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. This is an incredible response of humility and persistence. 
her child is suffering, right? She's doing what any loving parent would do. She's persistent. She'll cross all cultural norms, and she's going for Jesus for help. But her humility shines so bright not to be offended at his response. She doesn't even question anything that Jesus says. In fact, she actually humbly carries along his own analogy and takes it a step further. She acknowledges Jesus as Lord, saying, yes, Lord, and that even as dogs, as Gentiles, they can receive what Jesus is providing. It's an incredible example for us of humility and persistence with the Lord. So then, what does Jesus think? He says, for this statement, you may go your way. The New Living Translation, he says, good answer. And in Matthew, he says, great is your faith. So just to be clear, he's not commending her faith because she's not worth anything. That's not what he's saying. Sometimes this passage actually gets misconstrued, like we don't have any value or purpose. But we don't have to read far in the Bible to get into Genesis to know that male and female were created in the image of God. Therefore, we have tremendous value and purpose. All of us. No matter what anyone has told you, no matter what you've experienced, you have tremendous value and purpose. Fact, because you're made in the image of God. Rather, Jesus is saying, though great is your faith because she recognizes her need for a savior and her faith is her decision to put her trust in him. He sees her humility. Jesus so often is able to cut straight through the heart in these conversations in the Bible. He clearly can see our motivations. We're not able to look at each other and know truly the pure motivation behind what we're doing, but Jesus can. And he commends her for that. We got to remember when we think about humility, humility is not always like the, you know, funnest topic to talk about. Funnest? Is funnest? That's not a word. Nope. More fun? Thank you. Humility is defined not by thinking less of yourself, but by thinking of yourself less. So humility is not defined by thinking less of yourself. It's not you putting yourself down or degrading your value. That's not humility. In fact, I would actually argue that's a false humility that's actually kind of a level of pride. If God is saying, you're made in my image, and we go, no, 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 my value is really low. I mean, who are we to kind of make that decision? But it's not thinking less of ourselves; It's thinking of ourselves less. It's just thinking of ourselves less. We're not the point at the end of the day. You're not the point. I'm not the point. It's not about our rights or what we want first, but rather if life is found in Jesus and we believe it is, it's about his rights and what he wants first. We got to remember, this is the hard part, that we're the ones at the beginning who wanted life to be all about us. We're the ones who wanted our rights and our decisions to be in control. Go back to Genesis, take it with Adam and Eve. We sinned, right? We're the ones who turned our back on God. We turned our back on him. We started going our own way. Maybe for you, it's been five years, 10 years, 20 years. I don't know. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, the fact that Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life. He died on the cross, paying the penalty for our past, present, and future sins. And he rose from the grave. In 2 Peter 3, 9, God's not wishing that any of us would perish, but all would come to repentance. We would turn away from our sins and our path. 
there's a great battle of pride and humility going on, even in this room, in all of our hearts. And chances are, even, I mean, myself, when I thought about this and I wrote it and I'm going to say it and it's going to sting, it feels kind of like a dagger when I say something like this, but we are all dogs under the master's table. We're all the ones who turned our backs on God and we still choose to sin. We're the ones who keep taking up our rights, even though we've surrendered our rights. We don't even deserve to be at the table, frankly, but rather under it, getting the scraps that's fed to those at the table. However, if I were to stop there and would say, okay, good day, everybody, that would be like the most depressing thing ever, but that's not where it stops. The amazing part is for today, the amazing part is for tomorrow, the amazing part is every day, the amazing part for the Jew, for the Gentile, which is us, by the way, the amazing part for the Syrophoenician woman, for those of us who've actually all gone before us, been Christians before us and shown humility. The amazing part is that Jesus lifts us up as no longer a dog under the table, but as a child who has a seat at the table with the family of God. Jesus lifts us up as no longer a dog under the table, but as a child who has a seat at the table with the family of God. This is incredible. Philippians 2.8, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We have a seat at the table. What an honor. What an honor and a privilege we get to sit at this table. And just like all of those who've gone before us, showing humility, we wouldn't be here without followers of Jesus before us showing similar humility. They invited us in. If you're a follower of Jesus, you were invited in, probably from someone who's showing humility. So then you know what we do. We're God's plan A for the church. There's no plan B. We're the church right now. We're on the front lines currently. So we invite others to the seat at the table. We humble ourselves and get down on the ground with others. We lift their heads. We pick them up. We pull out their seat and invite them to sit at the table. Because if Jesus has done that for us, how could we not do that for others? And we, need this, we just need this reminder all the time. There's something that probably even resonates with you when I say that just because we need the reminder. We just forget. We're very forgetful. We got to remind ourselves how Jesus picks us up every day. But I, I get it, and I know you might think your sin is out of reach, and you're not worthy to sit at the table. But God's grace is greater, and Jesus' sacrifice is worthy to pay the price for any sin that we have. We will never be able to out the cross of Christ. And whatever comes to your mind thinking, I don't know if I'm forgiven for this or for that, you are, because Jesus is enough. You are tremendously valued and have purpose and have a seat at the table because of Jesus. We have to humble ourselves to a dog under the table to become a child at the table. And that's humility. Even feels a little like, but really? But we do. We have to humble ourselves to a dog at the table to become a child at the table. In the book, uh, Gentle and Lowly, which, shameless plug, we have a Zoom book study coming up on that. Uh, coincidentally, this Wednesday, you can go online or on our app, RSVP, AustinLifeChurch.com. Um, but in that book, Gentle and Lowly, the author Dane Orland, he says, with Christ, 
Our sins and weaknesses are the very resume items that qualify us to approach him. Nothing but coming to him is required. First at conversion, and then a thousand times thereafter until we're with him upon death. Nothing is required because Jesus has satisfied all requirements for us. So after Jesus commends the woman for her faith, going back to that, it says she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. And it kind of makes me think, what was this woman's life like afterwards, after this experience? Like, what did she even teach her daughter growing up? The Bible doesn't speak to this specifically, but I'd be shocked if she didn't teach her the value of humility and maybe even the value of trials, actually. In our uh, discipleship group, Cody and Joel and I, we were talking uh, recently about James 1. And when I say that, some of you may know kind of the passages that are in there, kind of like finding joy in the midst of our trials. We just kind of hear that and we're like, oh, geez, I don't want to read that. Like, joy in the midst of our trials, come on. But this time, I noticed something different. And it speaks to the value of when we read passages of Scripture, even when they're the same, God always has something different for us. Or there can always be new things for us to learn. I noticed that it speaks to the the value in James 1, 4, it says, let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Lacking in nothing. So then it kind of made me think, okay, we're lacking things, which I know that's not a shocker, but how does that get addressed? Through, through trials. Trials is one of, maybe one of the primary ways those things get addressed in us. We're lacking. We don't know what this woman's life was like prior to the moment either. We just get this little snippet of the Syrophoenician woman. But one thing we know for sure is that through a trial of her daughter needing a demon cast out of her, through a trial of her pressing through as a Gentile, very vulnerable towards a Jewish rabbi in a house where he's resting, through a trial throwing herself down at his feet and begging for help, she walked away from all of this with an increase in humility. So, I mean, here's the H word, humility. What does this mean for us? Might sting a little bit, actually. In a season like... Oh man, COVID, I had to say it, with mandates or no mandates or masks or no masks or social media posts or comments. I'm just jumping in on a thread of like 45 comments. Our politics. I'm, I'm right there with you in all these. Our judgments towards others without confession to God or even to them. We just make them just so quickly. Assuming the worst in people without giving them any benefit. Like we know. Jumping in arguments and taking stances. We don't really know why we're taking a stance. We're just taking it. We're flexing our rights above anyone who would stand in our way. If Jesus... The Son of God humbled himself to the point of death for us. We, just like this Syrophoenician woman, 
can humble ourselves to the glory of God and the good of others. I don't believe in coincidences. That's a hard word to say, apparently, with all my S's. Sorry about that. I believe God's allotted our time periods and dwelling places for this time right now. I believe that because that's what it says in Acts. And I don't think... Uh, I don't think it's just chance we're talking about humility. I think it's something we're lacking in as a people. I know I am, and speak for myself. Pride is just there by default. So I wanna do something now. Bless you. Second Timothy three sixteen through 17, it says, all scripture is breathed out by God, all of it, and it's profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. So in your seats, you can take whatever posture you want and close your eyes if that helps. Keep your eyes open if that helps. Sometimes it's just distracting when I close my eyes. Take whatever you need to do but I want you to hear these words. I want you to hear these words from God himself. This is from his mouth. And consider what you need to confess. You might need to also receive a sweet affirmation from the Lord, a well done. But think in this time, God, what do you have for me? Where do I need to lay down my pride towards you and towards others? Who do I even need to go seek out forgiveness from? I want you to hear him as he talks to you. This is God speaking to you. How do you hear from God? This is one of the ways. And experience him lift you up and pull out your chair and give you a seat at the table. God, thank you for your word. I pray you speak. I know you speak clearly. I pray we would hear you, actually listen to you. You'd cut straight through our, to our hearts. You'd pick us up. You'd heal us. You'd comfort us. You would instill confidence. And God, for those who don't know you, that they would understand and experience your invitation. We no longer have to go through life going down this path and that path and trying to seek it in all these different ways. We're not going to find it. Everything is going to be empty except for you. All that's required is for us to come to you, Jesus. call you, Lord, put our faith and trust in you. So let us hear you now through your word. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, 
but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people, he adorns the humble with salvation. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church Podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.